Matthew chapter 6, as we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and now we're looking at what it means to be delivered from evil. Uh, you know, what, are we, what are we up against? Uh, what would that deliverance look like? And now uh, we're looking at the confidence we can have in, in, in what seems like a really frightening part of the Lord's Prayer. Like you end it on like it seems like a scary note, right? Like all this good stuff, give us our daily bread, and oh, by the way, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one and all his, all his demons and all his evil ones, all that sort of stuff like, like we looked at. Um, there is in this, in this request, just like the others that we've seen, there is a, there's an always already an advancing aspect to this part of the prayer. When it comes to, to delivering us from evil, uh, the reality uh, uh, that, that we've got to have, the reality of, of that deliverance is what we need to have confidence when we pray this prayer, to have confidence we get to the end of the Lord's prayer here uh, and, and are able to lift it up confidently and to lift it up in as God commands to be able to do it without fear, right? In order to be able to live without fear, we've got to understand how we can pray to be delivered from evil and not be afraid when we say that. Why do we not need to be afraid uh, that we are going to need to be delivered uh, from evil. And so when we look at God delivering his people from evil, we have seen in the last several weeks uh, that God has always done this, that God has promised to deliver his people and has been uh, delivering his people since the beginning. You go all the way back, we went all the way back to the book of Genesis and traced God. Uh, God has always done this. We've always delivered his people uh, from evil. And this culminated with God's ultimate deliverance that we saw of his people, that already aspect of us being delivered from the evil one, uh, where God delivers us from the evil one, defeating him, triumphing over him uh, in Christ, that in Christ, we've already been delivered from evil. We've already been delivered from the evil one and his evil ones. But like we said last week, our salvation is not the end of the battle against evil, even though in our salvation, our victory has been won. And we've got this triumphal parade that we're all a, a part of that Paul talks about in multiple places. And it's so great. And yet the battle continues. So in our salvation, yes, we have, we have been delivered from evil. And yet at the same time, it is our salvation that is the start of the battle against evil. That it is through our deliverance that the war begins. Our salvation cues up the fight. It, like we said last week, it, it put a, puts us in Satan's crosshairs. Remember, if you're not in Satan's clutches, then you're in his crosshairs. And that's, that's what, we, what we find. And so uh, as, as you and I are no longer, as we've been delivered from his kingdom and put into the kingdom of his son, that's when the battle, uh, the battle against evil begins. And though we don't need to fear him, we are still in a in a battle uh, and God is still delivering us from those battles. And so uh, the deliverance from evil, though it's been won in Christ, as we've seen is continuing to advance. It advances uh, creationally on a creation wide scale uh, as we saw, and it advances personally. We looked at last week, we looked at the creational level of our deliverance, how God is delivering the whole of his creation from the stain uh, of sin. He's making a world where righteousness dwells. He's driving sin from every inch of creation, every cell uh, in creation. So that gives us 
confidence. God is delivering everything from evil. And as long as you're part of the everything, uh, then you can know as, as a believer, he's not going to deliver everybody and everything but you. Uh, so we have no reason to fear a defeat. No, no reason to fear it. But that's at the creation level. What about our battle? What about the personal level? What about our battle? We've, we saw, now it's probably been several months ago, we saw all that the evil one plans to do against believers. We saw what the evil one's plan. We saw what the evil world desires, that, that enmity between those things and the believers. So what about us? What about our battle? What does God do in delivering us on a personal level? How does God help us in our individual battles against evil? And how does our deliverance advance in our own personal lives? Well, that's what we're going to look at today uh, and beyond. I mean, let's just be honest uh, today and, and for a little while. Uh, so let's begin by uh, reminding ourselves of the text that we're exegeting, sort of our driving text. Let's stand together uh, as we're trying to delve deep into why Jesus taught us to pray, at, to ask God for these things. And now he's told us to ask God to be delivered from evil. We saw why we need to pray that. And we saw what God is going to do in that. Uh, let's read uh, and then jump back uh, deeper into this text. Uh, Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So how does, how does the Lord, okay, so how does the Lord advance our deliverance from evil? How does the Lord grow our own fight against evil? How does God equip us to fight against evil, against an evil that we've just seen a few weeks ago that we've already beaten, but now, now sort of rages against us because of that victory? How does the Lord equip us basically for spiritual warfare? That's the question. Really, How does the Lord help his believers in the battles of spiritual warfare? When the evil one comes against us, as we've seen, that's the desire of the evil one to pursue uh, the children uh, of the father from the beginning. So how, what is that going to look like when that happens in our lives? How does the Lord not just deliver us then, 2,000 years ago, but how does he continue to advance our deliverance even now? So what we'll do today is, is look at how God uh, tells us to prepare for battle. Uh, we'll see the tools that he says are at our disposal uh, so that when we're faced with this continuing war, we're going to ask, you know, what does God want us to think as we go into these battles? And then what does God want us to do? So what sort of things does God want you to know as you start to face these spiritual battles, even before you face them? And then what does he want you to do in the midst of them? Uh, and, and so that's kind of where we're going to start today. How does God equip us for our war against evil, when we're facing evil, what confidence, what sort of things can we know are true so that we can have confidence that deliverance is, is going to come, that, that our deliverance is not uh, going to end all of a sudden, but that our deliverance is ever and always advancing in our lives. So what sort of confidence can you have in the midst of spiritual warfare against an enemy that we spent months talking about how much he hates you, right? 
and how powerful he is. Uh, so uh, after laying all that down and saying, now he's coming after you, uh, it's like, well, great. Uh, so how, what sort of confidence can you have, uh, not pride as Peter's going to warn us, not pride, uh, what sort of confidence can you have going into this, uh, into this spiritual battle? The first thing we want to see that God tells us uh, is that you are not alone, okay? So the first thing you need to know in your spiritual battle against the evil one, his evil ones, be they demonic or worldly, the first thing you need to know is you are not alone. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So here, Peter is describing the the spiritual battles and struggles, the the stretchings. If you remember when we talked about deliverance from temptations, all all the way back there, the the stretchings that that we're going uh, to go through. But but before delving into that in verse 6 and their purpose... He assures the believer of one thing. He assures them that they are being guarded. Now, I actually originally had this as my second point. But then as I was going through, I realized God makes it his first point, and I can't second guess him. Uh, And so the first thing God tells them before getting into the various trials that they might face, he tells them that they can know that they are being guarded by him. In the battle against and in, in our deliverance, uh, from from evil that is that is coming through our fighting against evil that that comes through our battling against it there is a there is a guardrail uh, of sorts there's a there's a safety net in this case we've got to remember that no matter what we go through no matter what you face you will not face it alone and you don't go through it unguarded and when we realize it because here God says look like before, before I get into what you're going to go through and the, and the suffering that you're going to have to have to deal with, I want you to know I am guarding you. It is the it is the power of God that is guarding us. And when we realize that, when we realize that we're not alone, and we're not just not alone, that the person we're with is guarding us, that we're not just with someone that we're going to be like, we got this right, and look to the right, and he gone. That we're with God who's not just watching what we go through, but is guarding us as we go through it. There's a confidence there. That our Father's not just there, because we know God's there at all times. We're like, He's there and He's watching, but what is He doing? I'll tell you what He's doing, believer. He's guarding you. He promises that. He promises that even though you might be going through these sufferings, these stretching, these trials, in the midst of it, He promises that He is guarding you through your faith. So in this case, we've got to remember that God is with us. Remember that even as we go through sufferings, even as we go through, as he says, temporary battles, even though you go through them for a little while, we can rejoice 
That's what he says in verse six. In this, in this, knowing that you're guarded by the Lord for yourself, you know that nothing's going to take that away. In this, you are able to rejoice even though you're going through temporary suffering because you know you're being guarded. Because you know you're being guarded for the, for the culmination of your salvation. So when we pray, first thing we, when we pray, deliver us from evil and we're wanting to see, okay, I know how he's always promised to deliver his people. And I know how he, he tells us he has already delivered us in the cross, but I'm facing evil today. And as I see that evil, I pray, Father, deliver us from evil. And I, and I see the evil that's coming against me or that I know could come against me. I know that's prowling around outside and, and, I, and I want to be fearful. What's going to keep me from that? What sort of confidence can I have? First thing you can know is you are not alone. And not only are you not alone, you're being guarded. You are always and ever eternally being guarded by your father. Just as you, even though you are wicked parents, know how to guard your children, right? None of you, if you were outside uh, and there is a, you know, pit bull next to, you know, coming at your child, uh, or as we call it, just Thursday in begs. Uh, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a dog there and you, and you're, you're saying none of you'd be like, Ooh, hope you got this buddy. Yeah. Or say, you know, you should, should have been reading your Bible the other day. Shouldn't you? Uh, I'm just going to watch this happen. Uh, that's, there's never a moment where God does not guard his people or he is not guarding us. That should give us confidence no matter what we face. So the first thing you know, you're not alone. God is guarding you, but that's not all that God is doing. I mean, that would be enough, right? That would be enough because it's really, it's great. If we just stop there, that would be enough to have confidence in every spiritual battle that you faced. If the Lord stopped there and said, I just want you to know that I'm guarding, didn't tell you about any of the other stuff he's doing. If God didn't tell you about anything else he was doing and just told you, I'm guarding you, you're going to get to your salvation. Sort of like Romans chapter eight sort of thing. Nothing's gonna be able to separate you. You know, that, that he is going to bring you to glorification. It's going to happen. That would be enough. But that's not all that God says. God reveals even more to us of what he's doing. Not only is he doing more, he's telling us about what he does. So the second thing we can see, not only is God, uh, not only are you not alone, God is guarding you. The, uh, the second thing that God is doing, uh, part of his guarding is that he is limiting the battle. God is limiting the battle. Uh, the forces that come against us, in other words, forces that come against us are not unrestrained. They are not free to do as they please. God controls what we face and he ensures that we do not face what we cannot handle. And we've been, get, we've been given a peek behind the curtain at this throughout scripture's history, right? One of the, the big ones that we all know, we all know the, the book of Job, right? One of the oldest accounts uh, in the in the bible uh probably if you're gonna have me guess you know if you disagree with me i'm not call you a heretic uh is probably around the time of jacob i would say jacob the patriarch not jacob jackson uh around the time of, of jacob so job, job begins and we know it begins uh, we hear all about this this righteous man if you want to flip to job chapter one that's great flip there because we're gonna be there a second so it begins all about this, you know, you got this righteous man, a man who is, who is blameless, who is perfect, mature, uh, who is upright, and, and he's been richly blessed by God, right? Great, great guy with a great life. And Satan, so you got that guy just living his life, actually living his best life now. Uh, and then you've got Satan, 
who is walking around the earth up to his nefariousness. And God is it's that weird where you're like, that can't be right. God, Satan's like, I've just been walking around. And God's like, well, have you seen Job? Uh, I, 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 have you seen Job? Uh, and then you're like, wait, I thought God was guarding us. That seems like the opposite uh, of guarding us, right? Like, and then you're doing a world praying, God, if you ever feel the desire to point me out to the evil one, you don't have to. Uh, you know, just so, just if you, if you want, you know, if you, if you want to know. Uh, but what does, what does God tell Satan about, about Job? Job chapter one, verse 12. So he, he points out uh, Job to Satan, says, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, and in chapter one, verse 12, Look at, what, look at what God tells Satan about this stretching that he's going to bring to Job. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, so even, you know, here we see even before the reign of Christ and the binding of any strong man, Satan uh, did not have free reign to do what he wanted. God says Satan uh, can touch all that Job has, but he can't touch Job. And that's what Satan does. Satan doesn't go, nah, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Satan, that's what Satan does. He touches all that he has, but he doesn't touch Job. And then we see the same thing in chapter two. The same thing happens. Job, it doesn't work in chapter one. Job doesn't curse God. And so Satan says, well, the problem is you made it where I can't go after uh, him. I can only go after his things. See, Satan is recognizing you limited me in the evil that I could do to him. You limited me in my stretchings. That's the problem. He's the one throwing the fit, not Job. Let me touch him. Let me touch him. Remember what he says, let me touch him and he'll curse you to his, to, he'll curse you to your face. And God, again, he sends out Satan and he tells him, okay, you can touch him. You can touch Job, but you cannot kill him. You can touch him, but you can't you can't kill him. And again, that's what Satan does. And not an inch more. I think maybe he had barely an inch left uh, before, before it would have. But he's not allowed uh, to go an inch beyond that. And Job, Job handles it. Still, Job does not sin, it says, with his lips. And of course, God will, will use that story. will use that stretching uh, from Satan to, to not only grow Job, but he'll, he's going to use it uh, in, in this book to be a story of God's faithfulness in the midst of trials and temptations and stretchings and spiritual battles. I mean, you can't get a more spiritual warfare than the evil one going, hey, can I go touch that guy? I mean, you can't get more spiritual warfare than that. And yet for the last 4,000 years, we've been reading the story of God's faithfulness in the midst of stretching. What we saw here that in this battle against the evil one, that God was limiting what the evil one could do. God was guarding Job. And in that guarding, part of that guarding was limiting what the evil one was able to do to him. But even in this most, uh, uh, this most ancient of, of battles, we see what, again, God restricting the actions of the evil one. God guarding his children by saying, you can, you can fight him like this, but you cannot do this. Right? You, can, you can bring your spiritual warfare against him like this. You can try to get him to curse me by doing this, but you cannot do that, limiting what our enemies are able to bring against us. But that's not just Job. This is what God promises us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. A great passage. We all know. What does it promise us? No temptation, no stretching has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. 
And he will not let you be tempted, be stretched beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You will never face a stretching from the enemy that you cannot survive. One that you simply are not able to get out of. Well, how can God promise it? How can God promise that the enemy will never bring a stretch in? You will never, in your spiritual world, you'll never face something from the evil one that you can't handle. I know me, and I've read about him, and I think he's got a lot of powers that I don't have. Now, sometimes I don't even need him to sin, right? Uh... How, how, do you, how can you say, I will never face a temptation that I am, not able, I am not able to bear because, what does it say? Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. And that means we're not alone. And God is making sure that the evil that comes against us is restrained. That the temptation is limited. Limited by our Father who guards us. And part of His guarding is limiting what the evil one can bring against us. So when you pray, deliver us from evil, you can know that part of God's answering that prayer, deliver us from evil, is that he's limiting the evil that comes against you. The evil that you face is limited by your faithful father who is guarding you and will not allow the evil one to overcome you. There is a limiting that our father does in guarding. But not only, so in our guarding, God uh, limits the evil that comes against us, but not only does God uh, limit the bad guys, one we often forget uh, is God also provides the good guys. Now, this is, this is fun. This is, my, this is my fun part here. Because when, when we talk, if you remember, when we talked about the evil one, and what he's got on his side. And his battle against Christians. We mentioned that the evil one has evil angels. Has the demonic that he uses in his endeavors against the Christian. We saw when describing how evil is coming against the Christian. We looked at how the Bible describes how that's going to come. We see that the evil one has designs. And he uses his evil ones to bring about those designs. What we call the demonic. Sometimes it just calls the evil ones. It's, it's one and the same. But it's, it's not just the evil one that uses angels in his battles. It's not just the evil one that uses angels in the battles uh, against believers and for believers. God uses angels in our spiritual battles as well. And we need, we need to be aware of this. Now, there are all sorts of problems, uh, as you know, I've been your pastor, all sorts of problems with how people view angels, right? Uh, chief is probably the one where we have to say, look, you, we do not become angels when we die, okay? That is not, that it would be a lessening. Uh, we do not become angels when we die. And, and so sometimes because of how people just get weird with angels, we just don't touch the topic at all. Like we pretend like it's not in the Bible or that if we talk about it, we're all going to end up with a bunch of, you know, precious moments collections or something like that. Uh, but the Bible, the Bible does talk about the angelic. And it talks about the angelic in some pretty awesome ways in our spiritual battle that we would be remiss to miss. And one of those ways is in terms of how God provides our guardianship. Part of God's guarding of his people is through his use of the angelic. So it's not just the evil one who's like, hey, I can use this. In our, I mean, this is, this is also what the Lord does. And, and, and we've seen this. We've, we've, we've had insights 
into the, the bad heavenlies in Job, right? We've seen that. We've seen what's going on, the, the bad heavenlies and, and what they're doing. But we also get insight into what the good heavenlies are doing in our spiritual battles in scriptures too. So, so how does God guard his, his people in terms of our spiritual attack? God guards his people, not just by limiting the bad guys, but with a very real guard, in this case, the angelic. The, the angels guard the people of God. Uh, we all know this great story of God protecting us. 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. This is, this is that, that 2 Kings uh, 4 through 6 is all the things where it's showing that Elisha is kind of better than Elijah. At least he's doing what Elijah was supposed to do. Uh, and it's just proof after proof that Elisha is indeed a, a prophet of the Lord God. Uh, and, and you get all these, the, uh, all these great stories. Well, you get, you get this story in chapter 6 where you've got the king of Aram Who's, who's making war against Israel. And he's got, but he's got one problem in that war against Israel. And what is that? It's like, he's like, the king of Aram and, and Ahab would have been, they could have talked a lot because Ahab would be like, I had Elijah. And he's like, well, I got Elisha. And they could have argued about which one was worse. Uh, and that's the problem. He's got Elisha to deal with. And so what the king of Aram, this is, Elisha is such a problem that the king of Aram, the king of Syria, surrounds the city where Elisha is with the sole purpose of capture. So he's fighting a war against the country. And then he realizes, okay, but before I fight the war against the country, where's that Elisha guy at? Because we got to get him. And so he surrounds Dothan. He's going to come in. He's going to get Elisha in order to capture him. And one of Elisha's servants is like us, right? Uh, He is freaking out. Like, it's like the mountains are covered with Chinese balloons, right? Uh, and, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, and so he's, he's freaking out here. And Elisha, all Elisha does is he asks God, he asks God to just open that man's eyes. And when God does, look at what the man sees. So go down to chapter 6, uh, starting verse 15. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the Lord opens his eyes. He sees a mountain full of horses, full of chariots, and they're like, he ups it. They're on fire, right? Horses and chariots would be enough. Horses and chariots on fire, even, even better. Now, a couple things about this passage I think are interesting that we sometimes, uh, we sometimes miss uh, is to show that this protection that Elisha sees is not meant to be seen as an anomaly. It's not meant to just be seen as some special occurrence, but rather a consistent reality. And we're going to see that this is a consistent reality for the people of God. One is if you're reading the story in 2 Kings, Elisha is never told by God, that, hey, I'm going to do something special, look to the mountains. God's not pulling like a Gandalf, like in three days, look to the, he's not doing that. Uh, God, we get no, we get no, no account of that. Elisha simply seems to know. There's no reference here to some sort of special thing going on. Elisha just says confidently, hey, we've got more on our side than they do. He simply knows that to be true. He asked God only that the young man would see that truth. And, and the, one of the reasons we know that is because what do the angels do in the rest of the story? 
Normally angels come and they like wipe out the other army, right? They just wipe them out and 100,000 died in one day. Or they make, but, but that's not what happens here. What do the angels do? The angels are just there. You read the rest of the story, the angels are just there. The, the horses and chariots, they're just there. Because, because what happens is, the, the, is Elisha just says, hey, blind their eyes. And he, the, the Lord blinds their eyes and they just wander. He leads them to Samaria, leads them to, to the capital. It, it, seems, it seems like the army of the Lord is just there watching over the people. But how did Elisha know that was the case? How did Elisha know that to be true? Well, Elisha knows that not just because Elisha has some sort of weird prophetic angel sight powers. But because this is what God has promised to be true for his people. Psalm 34 verse 7. Elisha, who knows his scripture, knows in Psalm 34, verse 7, the Lord says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, this doesn't say, this doesn't say that the angel of the Lord is with those who fear God. This says the angel of the Lord encamps around them. Again, it is implying that the angel of the Lord is there, but not by himself. He's there bringing an encampment that he's bringing an army with him whose purpose is to encamp around God's people. And what do these people do? Or what do these, what do these angels do? They deliver his people. They deliver his people from what? They deliver them from evil. That God has said here, that Psalm, 30, uh, Psalm 34, 7, is not God saying, hey, this is what God does to super prophets, right? The, uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around super prophets. But the rest of you plebes uh, had just better hang out with Elisha as much as you can. Now, this is what the Lord does for all who fear him. So already we know of God's use of the angelic to guard his people, to deliver his people. And he says that the use of the angelic is perpetual. That it's not just for the Elishas, that it is for all who fear him. All who fear him, the angel of the Lord encamps around them. Just like in the mountains. It's funny that, I, I just thinking, maybe I'm the only one like this, I don't know. That's true far too often for me to be comfortable with but i we have no problem assuming demonic presence do we we have no like we have no but we have lots of problems assuming and we'll we'll walk even into the church and be scared right be like i think i think this is what the demons were waiting for like no one's here it says we're two or three are gathered but i'm here by myself and i go that's what bad exegesis will get you just being afraid. Uh, and, and, and so we'll, we'll think even in the church that maybe, maybe there's this demonic, you know, sort of, we have no problem assuming the demonic, but, but, but not, not, not go and say, we don't walk in and say, you know, I bet this place is full of fiery angels. If someone said that, you'd be like, you, you've been watching Benny Hinn? Like, what do you mean full of, of fiery angels? Like, that's what we would assume. But even though the Bible promise, it makes this as a great promise to us. Or we wouldn't say, I, you know, when we're sitting in here right now, we would, it would be hard for us to think and to even picture. We would have no problem picturing the demonic trying to get in here right now. In fact, we would talk about it evil once in this place. But we have a hard time imagining that at the same time, this place is surrounded by chariots of fire. I find that ironic. 
I find it, I find it ironic that here the Bible gives us this promise of, you know, flaming chariots sitting outside your church right now, protecting us, with us. We have, we, it is harder for us to imagine that than to imagine the demonic, even though we have scripture promising us that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The, the New Testament actually uh, gives us even sort of more light on our angelic deliverers, puts more of a, a personal spin on the angelic. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew uh, chapter 18. Ooh. Remember, so remember what Jesus says about the little ones here, Matthew chapter 18. Go down to verse 10. He's talking about the little ones. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So here we have Jesus, you remember the context, he's, he's warning about causing these children uh, to sin, which is uh, what evil is trying to do against the Christian, if you, if you remember. And he, he makes this sort of interesting remark, don't despise them because their angels are going to tattle on you, right? Their angels will tell the Father. So, and Jesus doesn't just say, because angels are going to tell the Father. He says, but there, he, he adds a, he adds possession and particularity to it. Their angels. That these little ones have particular angels associated with them, so you, you don't want to mess with these kids because their angels are talking with the father. But, but again, so then we go, well, maybe that's just children, right? Maybe that's, he's just watching out for children. So children, they've got, they've got angels watching them. But then when you come to, you know, the age of accountability is like where they take away the angels or something like that. Uh, and that's where, that's where you have to deal with it uh, on your own. But the, the, the children ha- have these angels. Well, one, that's just an assumption. But we've actually got reason to think that, that this angelic protection of believers is not just something that happens in childhood. So we've seen it. It's not just Elisha's. God said it's everyone, but we still don't believe it's everyone. We might say, well, it's just children. It says they're angels. So maybe it's just the children who have these angels watching them, but we don't. We certainly don't. Even though, again, we read Psalms that said we, everyone who fears the Lord. Uh, but, but again, maybe, maybe it's just it. But we actually have reason to think it's not. Or at least that's what the early church thought. The early church didn't just attach this promise to, to children. The, this personal, specific spiritual protection was presumed even in the early church. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, you remember what's going on in Acts chapter 12? As we all do. Uh, there is, Peter's been arrested. Uh, and he was arrested, remember, right after James was killed. James is killed, the Jews like it. And, and so Herod's like, all right, let's arrest Peter too. Uh, and since the people liked it that James was killed, James was killed, everyone's assuming that that's going to be the outcome of, of Peter's arrest as well. And the angel of the Lord, or an, an angel of the Lord, rescues Peter from prison. And Peter, you know, heads back to the believers who are gathered, you know, praying for him. Uh, and you get this, this great story of the servant girl, Rhoda. Like you can imagine trying to get away. And he, he, he gets there and he, he, he goes to the door and, and she hears his voice. She hears Peter's voice and she freaks out so much. She doesn't even open the door, right? She doesn't even open the door. She just runs away and tells the other believers, I, Peter's, you know, Peter's here. Uh, and, and they say an interesting thing when they don't believe it's Peter. Acts chapter 12, go down to verse 15. They said to her, you're crazy. You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting, saying it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. Stupid, right? Like, hey, what are you crazy? It's not Peter. It's his angel, duh. Uh, they're assuming here again. So it, it, I, I just think that's really funny. Uh, it, it's Peter. Don't be stupid. It can't be him. It's got to be, be his angel. For them, the crazy thing isn't angels. 
The crazy thing is the assumption. The crazy thing is Peter escaping, right? That's the crazy thing for them, That is that Peter might have escaped. They think more likely than it being Peter is it being his angel. And, and it says they keep saying it. They can't imagine it so much that they keep saying it. She keeps trying to convince them, and they're saying, listen, honey, right? This is, this is apostle splaining. Uh, they start like, it is, it is his angel. That's what's going on, but they can imagine it to be. That's crazy, right? It's probably a normal thing like just his angel. Just the angels that were watching over him. I'm sure that's what it was. It's just his angel. Don't worry. Again, we see the idea of personal, specific angels who watch over believers, even as they're facing great difficulty, perhaps because they are facing great difficulty. And this should give us confidence. As Christians, this is still true today. That it, I mean, it is, it's, it's, the, it, it's funny. It's the, you know, it's the wicked angels that are currently bound, but we seem to bind the good ones. We need to take comfort in part of God's guarding his people that is that he has always been, from the beginning, his use of the angelic to protect us. And just like the young man with Elisha, we need our eyes open to see that those who are with us are quite literally more than those who are with them. I mean, at least in that case, it's, you know, two to one, right? I've tried to incorporate this in a, into my life as, as think of it. Now, when I, when I go around the day, I kind of just do this gaze around thing. And I just, I get in a room and I just wonder, like, where are they? You know, look around and you're like, are they up there? They're right next to me. Like, uh, and it's when, <laughs> when I face great struggle, especially in pastoring, I know I'm going into a, a big spiritual battle or whatever. I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll say, we got this, fellas. Right, uh, because I want to remind myself that I'm not alone in any spiritual battle. That the Lord promises He encamps around uh, His people, and not just that, that that God does it to to guard us, but not just sometimes He 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 does it He does it all the time. And th- that's the reason the church thought this is that God has always promised that His angels watch over His children. He's always promised it. Even Satan knew this. Psalm chapter ninety one. Turn to Psalm ninety one. Psalm 91, jump down to verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Remember, Satan even knows this verse. God promises to guard us. And one of his guards for us is his angelic host. God, it says, commands his angels concerning us to guard us. And not just sometimes, but in all of our ways. How does God guard his people? One of the ways he guards his people is through his angels. He will command his angels concerning you. This is ultimately true uh, as all of Psalms is ultimately true of Christ, right? Who could call down 10,000 leaves, but it's not just Christ. It's not just Christ who has angels watching over him. It is Christ who can command them. But for us, the promise is, is true here as well. Psalm 91 is not just a psalm you're reading. Oh, that's just for Jesus. I got to skip the rest of it. It is for Jesus and it is for us. The early church knew this to be true. Elisha knew it to be true because God had always promised it to be true. In fact, that's one of the things that angels are 
made to do. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. When it's describing how Christ is better than, than angels, better than, than the angelic. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Aren't they all, are not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit? So what are all angels? All angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve. Again, angels aren't just there to watch over us. They're not just watching. Again, just like Jesus isn't just, just like God the Father isn't just there. He's there and he's guarding. And, and the angelic isn't just there. They're not just observers. They're not, they're not this great sort of cosmic UN. Just watching what's going on. They're, at, they're actually doing something. And what are they doing? What is, what, the angels are ministering to us. They're not just watching. They're watching over and serving us because that's what they've been sent out. That's what they've been apostled to do. They've been apostled to do this. These angelic apostles here. They've all been sent out by the Father to do this. That's the task that God has given to his angels is to minister to us, to serve us for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. That's their task given to them by your Father who is with you, who is guarding you, who is limiting the battle and providing protection. So as you and I, so we'll, we'll, we'll stop sort of at that point. We got more to come next week, more that the Lord says. That's all, again, that's great and a lot and hopefully very encouraging. But as you and I face an evil that we've been delivered from, like we talked about, but that is still, still pursuing us, how do we see our deliverance advancing in the midst of the spiritual battle? How do we see us not just as losing, losing, losing until we get to the cross and, and, and hopefully, hopefully everything works out? How do we see our, our battle advancing, God's deliverance advancing in our lives in the midst of a spiritual battle? One thing to know in this battle to give you confidence is that you can be certain, you can be assured going into the battle, in the battle, preparing for the battle, that God is with you. And not only is he with you, he is protecting you. As we, as we have laid out the great boogeyman of the evil one and his evil ones and how much they hate us, and that still is true, how they are raging against us, prowling around like a roaring lion. As we talked about all those things, how do you see that? You recognize that even in the face of that, you are watched by your father who is not just watching over you. He is guarding you. You are guarded by your father who dictates what the enemy is allowed to do and who has sent out his angels to watch over us and to stand against any of the evil one or evil ones and what they would use against us. So when you pray, deliver us from evil, and you get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, and you want to know what all is wrapped up in that, Father. What am I saying? Know that as you see evil attacking you, and you are crying out, deliver me from evil, know that you are not alone. That God is watching, 
God is directing and God is sending because God is guarding you. Have faith. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to just praise our God. We've seen here, this is all about God and his, his power that is protecting you. That is God. We do, we do not deserve that, right? He is a good, good father. So just take this moment to thank him that if you're in the midst of a battle, you can know in the midst of the battle, he is there with you. He is guarding you. If you're thinking about battles that you might face, you're being fearful. Maybe you're a little bit of an anxious bird who likes to think of all the battles you might face. You think of them all at once, even when things are going great. One of the ways to fight that is to, is to remember who will always be with you and to remember that it's not, it's not just some great opiate for us to say that the, he who is with us is greater, that the ones who are with us are more, but to actually know that to be true because you have a good heavenly father who will never leave you, will never forsake you, and will ever and only guard you even as you face evil that you cannot imagine God is there so thank him thank him for that promise right now just say just thank him and then confess confess if you have not had the confidence that you should have in your spiritual warfare, that you have, you have been anxious, you have been worried, you have acted as if he is not a good father. You have acted as if he would ever abandon you. You've allowed your heart and your mind to run away with you as if God were not there. Even though he always was. Confess that sin. Confess that. Lord, I am sorry for doubting you. I am sorry. I, I believe help my unbelief. And then ask God to give you confidence. Ask God to give you confidence, not, not just founded in some sort of confidence you just want to have, but founded in his word. These are all things that God has said are true about how he protects us. These are all things that he's assured us of. We're not, we're not just pulling metaphors and ideas and I'm not just asking you, how's God protected you in your life? That's not what we're doing. We're seeing what God has said about the protection he provides for his people, about how he guards us, about how he, he limits the enemy against us. And he provides protection for us, even his angelic hosts. Ask him to give you that level of confidence. And we can have that level of confidence because the already that we saw has already happened. Because all the promises of God have found their yes in Christ Jesus. Which is why we can look at the spiritual battles that we're facing. And we can know these things to be true. And we can utter our amen to the glory of God. Because he always keeps his word. He always has. He is now. And he ever will. God is with you. You are not alone. You never will be. He is with you. And he sends his ministering spirits to be with you and he limits those who come against you have confidence believer father we come to you today and god we do ask god we ask one 
uh, that you would humble us, Father, if, if there's been ever in our lives more assurance of our ability than yours and, and more thinking that, that we've got to handle it rather than, than trusting you. So, so God, help us to see your great promises and help us to believe them. Help us to rest in them. If we don't rest in them, Father, we will constantly be fighting. You are the one who provides us victory. You are the one who guards us. You are the one who protects us and defends us against the enemy. May we remember that and may we remember you will never fail in that. We are surrounded by your protection. It encamps around us. We know that to be true because our victory has already been accomplished in the cross of Jesus Christ. So it is as we see him that we know all of these other promises are true and will ever be true for your people. Give us that confidence. Deliver us from evil. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.